So let's just do kind of quickly recap and then get to this, this idea of the mark of the beast. Um, <clears throat> we started a couple of weeks ago with verse 11. And uh, to put this in context, what we're looking at is, is, is John is helping us see uh, what is going on in the spiritual world, in a spiritual dimension that shows up on a physical plane. And what, what he wants us to know is that quite often what, we, what, what happens to us as human beings is we, we look at the world and we look at life you know, through, through our eyes and the, the, the physicality of it all, and we forget that the spiritual world is at work and, and that there's really only one thing that's happening, okay? Well, we get very concerned about how's the economy doing and who's running for president and how, how, how is the port, sports world going, all of those things, okay? Well, we're very concerned with all that. In the spiritual dimension, it's this simple. Heaven and hell. It's that simple, okay? Um, reminded of that again this morning. Uh, turn on the TV, and uh, many of you know this, but Billy Graham has just finished his, probably his last book. He's 97 years old. So Franklin, the son, is, is being interviewed by, you know, this uh, newscaster. And, and I, I actually think the newscaster didn't know what to do, really didn't even know what to do with him. Uh, she says, so is this your father's last book? <laughs> and, and he could have said to her, uh, duh. But he was nice. He looked at her and goes, well, ma'am, he says, my dad's 97 years old, so it's quite probably his last, his last book, right? And she says, well, now, you, you all believe in, in heaven and hell. You believe that there's an actual heaven and hell. And, um, you know, for, for many Americans today, that idea that there's literally a heaven and literally a hell? No. We've kind of thrown that out. That's, that's old-timey thinking, and most of us have learned, you know, that's just kind of symbolic. And I love Franklin looks at her and says, yes, ma'am. Absolutely, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And she said, so in your book, when your father says that it's important for people to repent of their sins, uh, because that, that could could be important to, to being in heaven or hell. You all believe that's important. Again, yes, ma'am. We, we do believe that there's sin and that you want to repent before God uh, of your sins. And I watched this exchange going on. She, that was about that. She, she had had it by then. Her, her list of questions was exhausted. And uh, he had one of our, you know, these boxes we have out here, these Christmas boxes. He had one with him, and, and that gave her an easy out. She says, oh, tell me about your Christmas box. And I thought, that's, that's the way of our world. Our world is focused on all the wrong stuff. And a lot of times I get caught up in it. And then you read this, and what John is doing is he's saying, when you look at the world and all this stuff going on, remember that, that in the spiritual dimension, only one thing matters heaven and hell souls. And so the battle that's going on every day, all day, is for souls. And uh, when you look behind the curtain and you just get glimpses spiritually of how intense this battle is, for, for my soul, for your soul, for my grandkids' soul, for my kids' souls, it, it's kind of, you go, whoa. I mean, it gets your attention fast. And that is what John is doing. He's picturing it for us here in a way that uh, I, I think 
um, allows us to see that that that's that Satan is pretty slick at what he does. Um, he uses the imagery of two different beasts. The first beast we're done studying. Remember, that's the political beast. And what he's saying is that in our world today, you're going to see political regimes raised up that really become puppets to Satan. They carry out his will. And do they know that? Would they admit that? No. If you sat someone down, a political leader, and said, do you realize that you're a puppet to Satan? You're carrying out the will of hell? They, they would say, what are, you, what are you talking about? Um, and, but that's exactly what's going on. That's the first beast. The second beast, to me, is scarier yet, right? Because he's introduced in, in verse 11 as, as what? Looking like a, remember this? Looking like a lamb, all right? But he speaks words of who? The dragon, right? So in verse 11, this beast rises out of the earth, two horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. And what, what this beast is representative of is, is actually um, the spiritual world. It looks good. It looks right. It's the church. Uh, it's the church in many different uh, forms, whether that be Christian or, or otherwise. Uh, most of us say, well, you know, there's churches out there that claim to be, you know, the, the lamb. We have the words of God. We have the words of Jesus. But when you listen to them speak, guess who their, their voice sounds like? Not Jesus, the dragon. And they're deceiving people. Part of what happens, and this is where it becomes very, very dangerous, is John's telling us is, watch this. Throughout history, you're going to see times where beast number one, the political beast, is actually upheld and sold to people by the second beast. This is the coming together of the political and the religious realms as they come together. And, and kind of notice how, how that is, is spoken to in verse number 12. It, namely this, this religious beast, exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. Okay? So in other words, um, not separate now, but together. At what times in history has the church risen up and actually supported, given support to a political realm in such a way as, as to, to say the political realm is okay, it's, it's good, all right? You can trust them. You can follow them. They're not bad. They're, the things that they're doing are right, okay? So uh, last week we talked about in history you could pick out an obvious time frame would be during the Nazi regime, right? When, when Hitler came in and said, I'm going to kill um, Christians and I'm going to put, I'm going to put a, 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 a law over them that says if you come against me, uh, Hitler, and our political regime, what we're trying to do, then we will extinguish you. And remember what happened is most of the churches in Germany during the Nazi regime um, laid down and said okay and became actually a voice that was supportive of what Hitler was doing. And um, so you, you see these periods in history where these two things come together in a very un, unholy way and the, the, first, the first beast is being supported by the second beast, the religious beast. Okay. Um, in fact, the fact that it's, it's religious and not political is kind of borne out in verse 13 where we're told that it, this second beast, religious beast, performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven uh, in front of people. 
and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell upon the earth. Okay, just kind of stop right there and think about that with me. Is in, in the religious realm, um, what is a way that we're able to say, hey, we're valid, you can believe us, you can trust us? Well, one of those ways over history has been what? Through, through miracles. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you have miracles that are performed that undoubtedly act as signs that point to the authority of the church. They point to God. Um, you know, whether those miracles are we're going to split a sea in two and people are going to walk through it, or the, the miracles that Moses performs uh, in order to free the people of Israel, those miracles are signs that validate uh, the authority of, of the church to act in God's name. This second beast, we're being told, is actually allowed to perform what I'm going to call deceptive miracles. In other words, its claim is we have our authority from God, and as proof of that, look at what we're able to do. Look at what we're able to point to. And, and, and so the church, the church as an entity, likes to say we're, we're the good guys. We're the ones who God works his miracles through, and, and you can trust us. And now points back to the political regime and says, and we're telling you you can trust the political regime. So there's unquestionably here this relationship between these two things, this, this religious and this political beast are coming, are, are coming together. Um, the second half of that is kind of interesting, and we talked about this last week, telling them, okay, we're still in verse, in, in verse 14, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived, okay? Make an image for it. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who had not worshipped the image of the beast to be slain. Okay? Remember last week we took this word apart a little bit? Uh, when you look at this word image in uh, the Greek language, the term is, is icon. All right? So um, the best way to think of this is this, this um, uh, second beast is, is really causing people to idolize idolize the first beast okay so um it we're, we're going to give breath to the the political in other words we're we're giving it life we're making it come to life for the citizenry all right so look at it kind of as an, in a broad way as this second the second beast is is causing the first beast to literally be idolized to the degree that those who would not worship the image of the beast are being slain, okay? So the, the church, the church is saying, all right, we, we are supportive of the political realm and it's okay. That when it says worship here, it's not talking about bow down or, or it, it's talking about what? When you idolize something, you, you're in agreement with it. You're saying, yes, I think that with this Person or this thing is saying is right. This was actually being lived out when these words were written in Rome, right? Um, e even, even by, if I can say it pretty bluntly, even by the Jews. Remember, by the time that Revelation is being written, the, the Christians, 
are deemed an illicit or illegal religion. How about the Jews? Nope. They still remain what? A legal religion. Why? Because at this time, the Jews have done what? They've shook hands with the Romans. So that the, the Jews could say on one hand, well, we're separate from the Romans. You know, we have our own community. We have our own worship life. We have our own Sanhedrin and, and courts. But at the same time, but we're obedient to the Roman government. We're not going to do anything that, that actually comes against the Romans. Okay? So as the Romans begin to persecute the Christians, what's the posture of the Jews? Good. Get rid of them. Because they're a false religion. They're an illegal religion. So what you have is you have these two beasts that have come together. Are people worshiping Rome? Well, not, not in the way that we go worship God in a sanctuary, but are they worshiping Rome? Absolutely. Why? Because what do they say? Rome is the answer to, to man's problems, right? The, the Roman world, the Roman way, the, the, uh, uh, the, the way of peace, Pax Romana, Right, is through what? It's through the government. The way that we're going to achieve an answer to the, to the ills of the world is what? Through, through governmental policies. And what is the church doing? What, what, what should the Jewish church be doing? Standing up and saying, no, there is no peace through politics. There's peace only through what? Through, through God. Are they doing that? No. Are the Christians doing that? Yes. <laughs> And so what does Rome do? Kills them, begins to kill them. And so you, you really have, even at the time that this is being written, uh, a really good example of those, those periods where the, the, the one beast supports the, the other beast. They, they come to, together in, in an unholy way to carry out the will of, of Satan. Okay? Um, this... This next part is kind of interesting, and this is, this is new for us today. Go, go to verse number um, 16. It says, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Okay. So this is kind of a fun part. Um, you know, over my years of just watching different people teach Revelation and reading books on Revelation, you know, one of the questions that comes up over and over and over is, what, what is this mark of the beast? Um, it can be put in your, your hand or, or on your forehead. Uh, if you go back far enough in, in history, see, I, I'm, I'm old enough that I can actually say this. Go back far enough. There's, there's some old movies where you'll watch what they do with this, and typically you'll see that they'll, they'll put kind of a, a physical number or mark on someone's head or on their, their um, right hand. Okay, so um, I remember as a kid watching one day, watching this movie on Revelation. Oh, by the way, these clipboards are coming by, and uh, I should tell you that if, if you haven't started passing them, pass them. We're, we're getting ready to do our Christmas uh, celebration in our preschool. And one of the things that we love to do in preschool, uh, it's a beautiful outreach. 
And so we're inviting some of our members to come out and serve as hosts and just greeting people and, and welcoming them on that day. So as that clipboard comes by, if there's a time you can help serve, just put your name on there and circle it. Okay, now back to my story. So I'm a kid and I'm watching this show on the Revelation. And um, the way that they tried to picture the first half of what we just read is they, they show this, this religious leader who rises up and everybody thinks that this religious leader is like a great religious leader. And so the religious leader makes an idol. And he makes this idol come to life. He breathes life into the idol and the idol goes, starts walking around. I'm like, whoa, that looks scary. Now, now, now mind you, okay, when you read the Revelation, you're reading a book that the very first word in the book is what? Apocalypsis. John, and the very first word of this book, I'm just going to remind you of this, tells us that this is a very specific type of literature. It is apocalyptic literature. Not apocryphal, but apocalyptic. They're, the two are very different. If you have a Catholic Bible, all right, you've got an apocrypha in it. The apocrypha are books that were you know, written during pretty much the post-apostolic period. They help us get some good history behind what's going on in the New Testament, but they were books that were not deemed uh, credible enough to put into the canon of the Bible or the 66 books that currently make up our, our scriptures. They're not bad books, but you would not rely upon them for your theology. Okay? I, I always encourage Christians, if you don't have an apocrypha, uh, it's, it's not a bad idea to have one. Uh, keep it with you. Read it, because it'll give you more history of what's going on. And when you read First and Second Maccabees, two apocrypha books, they're telling you what's going on during that period of time leading up to the New Testament, okay? Apocalyptic books are completely different than that. Apocalyptic books are books that are written in a symbolic way during a time period when the church is experiencing intense persecution, okay? If I can say it pretty simply, they're code language. That when I read it, the symbols stand for, yes, actual people and actual realities, but they're nonetheless symbols and meant to be read as symbols. When you start to read a book that's it's intentionally symbolic, okay, um, kind of put yourself in these shoes. A, a, Roman, a Roman emperor could read these words, these same words we just read, they could read them and you know what they'd say? What is this? What in the world is this talking about? Some kind of beasts like bears and leopards and foolishness. Okay? So the Christians are writing, John is writing in a language that the Christians will understand. Why will they understand it? Well, because every symbol they look at, they're like, bingo, I know who that is. Bingo, I know who that is. Bingo, I know what that is. They tie back to both the Old Testament and they point forward to actual realities that are going on around them. That's apocalyptic language. So something happens when you try to take symbolic language and you try to turn it into something that's, that's physical, that's not meant to be, you end up with a weird 
weird picture that doesn't fit apocalyptic literature. Okay, so when I'm watching a movie and you've got this religious leader who rises up and he makes this idol and he blows some breath into it and gets up and starts walking around, that's not what John is trying to do here. He's trying to point to what? The idolization of men, of, of governance, of people turning and saying our, our answer, our help cometh you know, from the hill, and they're talking about Capitol Hill. No, he's saying our, our help comes from the hill, like Calvary's hill. Okay, that's, what, that's what John is trying to do. The same thing is true of this mark. Okay? So in, in the movie I was watching as a, as a kid, if you didn't have this, this mark here on your hand or your forehead, and you went into a store and you tried to buy something, an alarm would go off. Okay? So, I'll, I mean, it's embedded in my mind, this picture of this woman who walks in this store and she, she's kind of looking around because she's a Christian and she doesn't have the mark and she's got her, you know, hands kind of covered up and she's looking down and uh, she, she gets this stuff and she, she tries to go to the, to the counter and this alarm goes off and they, they, they capture her. And uh, because she doesn't have the mark... They take her, this is a very dramatic scene, they take her outside and uh, she's with a bunch of other Christians, uh, all of whom don't have uh, this mark on themselves. And, and I remember they take her out of the crowd and they lay her down and they put her, her head in this guillotine. And in the movie you hear this whoosh sound, they chop her head off and it scared me to death. I mean, it really did. I'm like, Man, you get better get a mark. You get get your you get grocery shop and you get your head chopped off. It's not a good thing. It's a very bad thing. Well, as as technology is gone, now people are are coming up with new movies. So what what's the mark now? Well, yeah, now the mark is microchips. So you get this microchip and we can embed it either in your, under your skin or we can embed it in your forehead. And um, that's the mark, mark of the beast, right? I'm thinking, well, it would make shopping not so bad. You're like, you just scan your hand or scan your forehead, you know. You, I mean, that's kind of the idea behind it is you can't buy anything or sell anything unless you get the microchip. If you don't have the microchip, then you, you, you're, it's not going to work, Right? No. Let me prove to you, or at least suggest to you, you, you can make your own decision, that apocalyptic literature intends to help me understand what's going on, not just back in the day of Rome, but today, and what's coming. These symbols are very broad. So was there a mark of the beast when this was being written? Yeah, there was. Who was the beast? Rome. And what did, what, what did Rome require for you to buy or sell? You, you better not be an enemy of Rome. Or guess what? Economically, guess what Rome did to you? Cut you off and destroyed you economically and then politically and physically and militarily came in and took you apart. Sound familiar? If I roam, don't, you're, you're not going to, you're going to come against me as an enemy? What I'm going to do is I'm going to cut you off economically. Rome is the world power. Can they do that? 
Yes, they can. So they, they cut off nations, and now if I sweep in militarily, I just take you apart, right? Why? Is you don't have the mark of the beast. Was it a physical mark? No. What was it? It was, we, we are, guess what a mark is? When you, when you buy a slave in Rome, you, you put literally a mark either on their hand or their forehead. They're marked as yours. You're, I own you. So in Roman period, was there a mark of the beast? Yes. What was it? Allegiance to Rome. The desire to actually, at one point in their history, be willing to bow down and acknowledge that the emperor is divine. Now there's, there's actual worship. You're a divine emperor, we worship you. Right? You come against us, and guess what? We'll cut you off. There's no buying, and there is no selling for you. All right? So, what is that... What does that look like today? Um, let me just prove this to you. That this is not a kind of a physical thing that's going on. Go over to, we'll come back to this, but go over to chapter 14, and I want you just to look at the very first verse. Because it's contrastive. When we get into chapter 14, it's meant to contrast. Chapter 14 says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. Okay. So in other words, to belong to God, to Jesus Christ, what mark do you have to have? The name of the Father on your forehead. Okay. So I'm looking around the room here right now. None of you have that on your forehead. In other words, what he's saying here is to, to belong, to be a slave to, to Jesus Christ, to say, I'm owned by, I belong to him, I have his mark on my forehead. Is it a physical mark? No. In the same way that the mark of the beast is not, not a, I get a physical mark on my forehead or up on my hand. It is, it's simply that if I, I have that mark right now on my right hand or my forehead, if in fact I, I make someone or something other than God and Jesus Christ an idol in my life. I'm owned by one of two things. I mean, when it, it, it becomes this simple. I'm either owned by Jesus Christ because he redeemed me and purchased me from sin and slavery, or I'm owned by Satan. And if I'm owned by Satan, guess what? His mark is on my forehead and upon my right hand. I belong to him. Legally. In the spiritual realm, I legally belong to him. So what is this war about? This war is about a dragon, namely Satan, who says when people are born into this world, when you come into this world, I legally own you. Your mark is on your forehead and upon your hand. And from a spiritual perspective, that's true. We are born in sin, under the curse of the law. How do we become bought back, redeemed from that? When a new name is put upon us. Why is it so significant in baptism that we say, receive the name of Jesus Christ? 
Why do we, when we take a child and baptize them, or even an adult and baptize them, one of the first things we say in our liturgy is, receive the sign up of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart. You know where that goes to? To right here. Because what we're saying is, a, a price has been paid for you. The price of Jesus Christ's blood bought you back from the ownership that Satan has over you. You now belong to him. You're legally his. Okay. And so what John is pointing to is that there's periods of history during which, I mean, we're, we're, we're in it today, where when you look at human beings, they're owned by one of these two things. And there's periods where the politic rises up, and, and, and if you're not in agreement with our, our political positions, guess what? We're going to cut you off. We're going to make it difficult for you to buy or sell. We're going to hurt you, punish you economically. Now, it's a really, really, really good thing. I'm going to get myself fired up here. It's a really, really, really good thing that this is not happening in the United States right now. So we watch it on the news. This guy, right, he's, I mean, he owns his own business. Some of you own your own business. And if you own your own business, you like to say to the government, mind your own business, right? Until one day someone walks into your, your bakery and says, I need a cake, we're getting married. Um, okay, tell me about your marriage. Well, we're... We're, we've been in love forever. We're, I mean, we're homosexuals. We're getting married. I'm going to pass on making your cake. I, I you know what? I, I'm because here's why. Because I care about you. And what I need to be able to say to you is, I think if you get married, what's happening in your life is you're actually just giving yourself to sin. You're giving yourself to it. And you give yourself to sin, and you do that long enough, what happens is your heart becomes hard, and you cut yourself off from Jesus Christ and salvation and eternity. And you know what? Your marriage, as much as, they, as you think that's a really good thing today, is not nearly as important as your eternity. So I'm gonna, we're going to pass on making a cake for you, because we really care about you. <coughs> well, then we're going to sue you. So what does the government come along and do and say? You must make them a cake. You must. Because we, the government, have established this, this new definition of marriage. You must agree with it. Or guess what? We'll cut you off. Do you know that about 15 years ago, the Catholic Church made a sweeping decision to get out of many, many of the uh, adoption uh, uh, markets that they had been in for decades upon decades upon decades. Shut down their businesses. You know why? Because the government came along and said, you must allow these two same-sex people, you must allow them to adopt a child. Catholic Church said, whoa, 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 whoa. We... We think that's bad for the child and for the, these parents. We, we can't do that. Government said, you must do that. They just said, you know what? We're going to start to shut down. You cannot buy. You cannot sell if you're in disagreement with our regime. I'm really glad that this stuff is not starting to happen right now in the United States of America. Yes, it is. 
Will there come a point in time? I, I think the answer in my mind is, is yes. I mean, it's debatable. But will there come a point in time when our, the government of the United States may say to a church like this one here, you, you, here are things you must do. And if you do not do these things, you know this little thing over here that, that you guys enjoy, this, what is it, tax-exempt thing? We'll cut that off. You know what will happen? I actually think, think it will be one of the great days in, in the history of the church in America. Because all of us are so used to what? I give these offerings. I get this little piece of paper. I give it to my accountant. My accountant says you get this tax deduction. On that day, all of that goes away. It's a great day. And the reason it's a great day is because it puts to test all of us who say we follow Jesus Christ with our lives. I didn't point this out in my message today because you, I could spend hours on 2 Corinthians 8. But in 2 Corinthians 8, this is what Paul says to the people in Corinth. I am not commanding you to give to the church in Jerusalem, but I am testing the sincerity of your faith. Testing the sincerity of your faith. I think the day is going to come here in America where the beast rises up to the place that it says to the church, you must cause your people to worship us. You must cause your people to agree with us. It's exactly what John is talking about here. And if you do not, we will punish you, cut you off, economically hurt you. And I think on that day, when that happens in the United States, I call it a great day because there will be a rising up of a remnant of people who say, we don't care about your piece of paper that you give us and tax exemptions or anything else. The thing that matters to us is souls. And we're, we're after only one thing. We're after what the lamb is after, and that is the souls of human beings. Cut us off, do whatever you need to do to us, but guess what? We will not worship you. We will not bow down to political policies that actually stand against the will of God. Okay? So if we think that this stuff is just kind of gobbledygook, no, it is not. It is describing exactly what is going on in America today, and it's why I'm, I'm telling young people right and left, you have got, you've got to make sure that if you, when you walk in a church, absolutely pay attention to what is being said because it looks like a lamb. But when you listen to it speak, it's got dragon breath, and it's talking like the dragon. Make sure you are on top of what is being said. I want to show you um, two verses today that in my book are required reading for any student getting ready to go off to college. Right, required reading. The first is 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Take a look at this with me. 1 John 4, beginning verse 1. Required reading. My kids, when they got ready to go off to college, these two passages we looked at together. Like, we're going we're gonna to look at these things. 1 John chapter 4, John, same author of Revelation, is speaking to the church, and here's what he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, now look at these next words, and now is in the world already. So again, a lot of these movies are like the Antichrist is coming. I'm like, well, <laughs> when John wrote these words like a long time ago. Spirit of the Antichrist is in the world now. That's what he's saying to the church. Why? Who is Antichrist? Antichristos, anyone, everything that stands against Jesus Christ, including the church. And the reason that John is saying this is because you've got false, what, prophets. The lamb, it looks good. But when you get into it, what it's speaking to you are words that will spiritually kill you. They will take you away from Jesus Christ. And so I think for, for kids going out into college, one of the first things I tell them is you're going to encounter a lot of false prophets who look good, who say we're good. Test them. Are they from Jesus Christ? Know, know the difference between what is his word and the word of false prophets. Go over to Romans chapter 16, beginning of verse 17. This is the second scripture required reading for kids getting ready to go off to college. These are Paul's final words to the church in Rome. And in verse number 17, he writes this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And listen to this. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of of the naive. Smooth talk and flattery is, is not just, hey, you're, hey, you're great. It's, it's, it's what you're doing is okay. There is no hell. Okay? Uh, a pastor of one of the largest churches in, in, in the United States, um, it's a church out in Michigan, Grand, Grand Rapids, about 10 years ago wrote a book that um, captured the hearts of a lot of of spiritual people. It's called Love Wins. And in his book, this pastor of a large church goes out to say, I used to believe that there was such a thing as hell. But there really is not. The idea of heaven and hell are ideas created by the church, but they are not true or real. Thousands of Christians have said, yep, that's right. That old hell stuff, since that's just old stuff. Smooth talk is this. Who told you that was sin? That's okay to do that. It's all right to do that. When my, when my little girl says, I think I'm a boy. Oh, of course you're a boy, if you feel that way. What, what? That's dragon talk. And uh, what, what we're being encouraged is, is he says, you have to be careful. Watch that. In fact, I love verse, verse 19. He says, For your obedience is known to all. I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise. Be, have the wisdom of God as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. And I think it takes wisdom. It takes the wisdom of Jesus Christ to be able to live in our world today 
And when everybody is saying, eh, don't worry about this, this kid over here who's, who's a Buddhist or this kid over here who's Islamic, they have their way and we have our way, but we all get to go to heaven. I pray to God that our kids are able to say, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ, when he was alive on this earth, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that religion and that religion and that religion reject Jesus Christ as the Savior. And this, this Christian church and this Christian church and this Christian church take Jesus Christ and diminish him and make him a social worker. And he's not a social worker. He's the Savior of the world and he's concerned about our souls. And that, that is really what, what John is trying to, to, to point to is the mark of the beast are those who are owned by Satan. They're outside of faith. The problem is there are many of them who believe, guess what, I'm in faith. And it's why I believe that on that last day, this is one of the scariest <laughs> verses in the Bible to me, on that last day, Jesus Christ says, on the last day, many of you will cry out unto me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to you, I know you not. I do not know you. Why? Because I was deceived by something that said, we're from Jesus, we're from God, and this is good, and it's right. And all of a sudden, I find myself outside of faith. I don't have a physical mark on me, but I am a slave to you. I am owned by Satan. And the only way you come out from his ownership is you are purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way. Billy Graham, 97 years old, has it right. And even though a TV gal this morning looks at him, looks at his son like, are you some old-fashioned freak? No. I'm a student of the Bible. And I'm going to live according to this word. And here's what the word says. That's the mark of the beast. It's been around a long time. Just like the Antichrist. It's alive and well today. Right here in the United States of America. Let's pray. Lord God.